Father, we want to thank you, Lord. We thank you for this book. We thank you for the for the faithful men who uh, who worked to to bring it over into uh, into our language in a in a form that we can read and understand. We thank you, Father, for for preserving it and for uh, for bringing it to us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would continue to bring your word to us through our hearts and our minds. And give us good understanding tonight, Father. In the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. Okay, Romans in chapter 9. Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Now, we're coming out of uh, coming out of, of chapter eight. You recall Paul was talking about um, if God be for us, who can be against us, and who will lay anything to the charge of, of God's elect, and uh, and that the Holy Ghost is is for us, and God the Father is for us, and the Lord Jesus Christ is for us, and Paul is uh, is rejoicing in those truths there at the end of. Uh, of chapter 8, and he says uh, in verse 35 and forward, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written? For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we, uh, we, we come through chapter 8. Uh, in that uh, in that rejoicing and in that uh, 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 just incredibly uplifting uh, conclusion to what Paul has been uh, talking about and, and Romans uh, six seven and eight is a um, is a uh, kind of goes together as a portion of this book and in a, from a wider context chapters one through eight are a uh, are a unit in this book, and there is a uh, a very sudden and obvious break as we come into chapter nine, coming out of that uh, coming out of that glory in chapter eight. Paul seems to just uh, just kind of crash here in chapter nine it, when he starts to say, "I say the truth in Christ, and I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart so the the uh, the attitude of the apostle seems to uh, seems to change abruptly here as we come into chapter nine and 
myself, I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit has his form and his order and, and knew and knows how he wanted the book to go. But for the Apostle, I think, he's talking about our not being separated from God. Our not being uh, cast away. Not being uh, cast off. That there's nothing that can separate us from, from God. And that thought, as, as glorious as it is, drives him very naturally to think of the nation Israel. Because that is exactly uh, what has happened to the nation of Israel, at least who he calls my kinsmen according to the flesh, that they have been uh, cast away, separated, as it were. So Paul's mind uh, goes there and he immediately moves from the glory uh, of no separation uh, for the body of Christ into the uh, great heaviness and continual sorrow that he has, on the other hand, for his brethren, for the nation of Israel, in that they themselves have been uh, cast away. Now he's going to go and, and explain uh, many caveats to that, but the I, I think that drastic change there coming into chapter 9 um, is exactly because of what he was just talking about. The whole issue of no separation. And then he, he begins to think about his own people. And he says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. Now, Paul is, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow. He's not just trying to convince you that he has great heaviness and continual sorrow by saying, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying. He calls Christ and the Holy Ghost to, to witness to what he is about to say. And it's and and when Paul he he says things like uh, you know I delivered unto you that which I received of the Lord and uh, uh, those kind of things and what he's saying here I say the truth in Christ I lie not and the Holy Ghost bears me witness also he's telling you that that he's about to give you something here that is that is scripture that is important that is God's truth and that is something that is coming uh, through God, through Him, from God. I, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now that that statement there in verse 3 is why I think um, 
that it's that it's coming out of chapter eight that makes him think of that because that statement that I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ is a direct uh, reference back to what he said at the end of chapter eight when he said nothing shall separate us from the love of God and then he says but I could wish that I would be accursed from Christ separated from God for my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh now we've already seen not too long ago just in the last few verses in in, in uh, chapter 8 that the apostle Paul among the many many things that he suffered uh, under different circumstances not the least of those things were at the hands of these folks who he's calling my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. These guys are the ones that have been hounding him and dogging him and wanting to kill him and caused him to be uh, let out of a window in a basket to, to escape their hands and they chase him from, from town to town and from city to city and, 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 and causing him all sorts of grief and, and ruckus and trying to uh, imprison him and, and have him beaten and stoned and, and, and all of these, uh, all of these things that he suffers at the hands of, uh, of his brethren, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. And yet, the apostle says, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not just saying this because it's the right thing to say. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for these folks. These folks who... Uh, who refuse to believe these folks who have uh, who have given up so much and Paul's heart was with he says at the beginning of chapter 10 again brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved Paul did not uh, did not bear bitterness against God's people now there's before we go down into the doctrine of this chapter, I don't want to miss that because there's a lot there for you and me. Number one, we are going to learn as we come into to Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, those three chapters are another unit in, uh, in the book of Romans. And the purpose why Paul is, is coming in here now is, be, is exactly that. Because he's been telling us for eight chapters why all the great things that, uh, that are involved with being a part of the body of Christ and what God has done for us and how that the Lord Jesus Christ came and He died and we're uh, saved now by His shed blood and by grace without works and the law is gone and, uh, and He's not a Jew who is one outwardly but He's one uh, inwardly and so forth and He's been telling us all this wonderful stuff about the body of Christ and what God is doing with it well the question naturally arises out of that well what about Israel? What about the nation of Israel? I thought they were God's chosen people. I thought they were the ones that uh, uh, that God was going to do all of this wonderful stuff with. So that uh, he he he's going to take us through in a very in in his usual methodic uh, and doctrinal manner. What about Israel? 
what happened to Israel. And chapter 9 talks about, uh, in a very loose outline, uh, uh, Israel's past. Chapter 10 talks about their present. Chapter 11 talks about their future. Again, that's a, a loose outline, but it, uh, that's the structure there. And, uh, so he takes us very thoroughly through this issue of what about Israel. But before we go into all of that, Paul starts this portion of Scripture with a personal note and, uh, and testimony that, that you and I ought not, uh, ought not pass over too quickly. Number one, if the Apostle Paul, who personally suffered uh, at the hands of these folks, could have great heaviness and continual sorrow uh, in his heart and desire toward them, then you and I need to be sure to, uh, uh, to root out any vestige of Christian anti-Semitism that, uh, that we might have, that we might be holding from uh, some former conversation, from some uh, uh, Christendom at large out there, from things that we hear. The Apostle Paul had a tremendous desire toward this nation who he spent his life preaching that they were cast away that they killed the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things are true. And down through the centuries, the church by and large has not uh, listened to nor believed the Apostle Paul in its attitude toward Israel. That nation is, yes, they are cast away. And yes, they are uh, 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 not God's people today. But that doesn't... uh, we will see as we go through these chapters that God is in no way and by no means done with that nation. And that the Apostle Paul, in the dispensation of the grace of God, had a special uh, place in his heart personally. Not uh, doctrinally uh, or, or in, in some uh, sense of obligation of service to God, but personally. He had, and, and, and they were his brethren, his kinsmen. He, he came out of that. And for as much as Paul talks about throwing that stuff away and getting rid of all of that stuff, still the people, the people he has tremendous um, affinity for. Now, so that says something to me, and I think it ought to to you, about... Um, not harboring ill will toward Israel as a Christian. You understand what I mean when I say that? Christians like to think that they have a special uh, uh, permission to be anti-Semitic because the Jews killed Christ. That has been the line down through history. They're the cursed ones. They ought to be hated. Well, that's not how Paul saw it. So, yes, sir. Yeah, this, this wasn't just his human sentiment. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to, and Paul wasn't just throwing this out to appease the Jews at Rome so they wouldn't persecute him. He says, I say the truth in Christ. Yes. Him, like you're saying, and it came through as part of the Scripture, so we know it's from 
and whether Paul was Jewish or Gentile, mm-hmm. it wouldn't make any difference. Right. He still had this attitude. Right, absolutely. Because it is it is the attitude of, of God, and we will see what God's attitude is towards Israel. But yeah, absolutely, it is not his own personal thing. That's why he says, I say the truth in Christ, and my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, it's a good point. And so if, if we want to take a proper attitude uh, toward the people of Israel, toward the Jewish people, then we need then we ought to love them every bit as much and have a uh, a desire toward them every bit as much as any other person listen when uh when Israel lost its position it came down to the level of the rest of the gentiles not below the rest of the gentiles it became one of the nations they're not uh, just like Israel doesn't hold any special place uh, in favor with God today. They don't hold any special place of disdain either. And you don't want to to be harboring that in your heart if you want to be on God's side on this issue. Secondly, what about our brethren? What about Christians, fellow Christians? Fellow Christians who of our ilk, fellow Christians who are not of our ilk, uh, people who believe what we believe, people who see things differently than what we believe. What's your attitude toward them? What should be our attitude toward them? If the Apostle Paul could have this great, tremendous longing in his heart, this real uh, um, desire and love for the Jews who did what they did to Christ, who did what they did to Paul, and still he was his. This was his attitude in Christ in the Holy Ghost, then what ought our attitude be toward the brethren who uh, you know who, who we you know we wear our, our hat on the on the one side and they wear their hat on the other side. Now, I'm not talking about compromising anything. I'm talking about what's in your heart toward people. The Apostle Paul had this tremendous uh, ability in Christ and by the Holy Ghost to to love these people that persecuted uh, and wanted him dead with with vehement hatred to not only be able to say okay well I know they're still savable and I know they're still human beings and I gotta love them but actually really have a deep uh, love for these people. So much so that he says, verse 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. How's that for a heart? Here, come, come back, you know, come back to uh, Exodus chapter 32. Paul's not the first one to... Uh, 
to feel that way. Exodus chapter 32. Moses felt that way about these uh, very same people. Not the same people, but the same same nation. And, uh, and they gave him a mess of trouble too. Exodus chapter 32 is when Moses comes down from the mountain with the, uh, with the tables in his hand and the children of Israel are down there uh, breaking every commandment that God just gave. And he comes down, he smashes the, the, the tablets and so forth. And verse 30, Exodus 32 verse 30, uh, after he get, gets done saying, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And he has... Uh, um, uh, the, the, them turn on each other. Three thousand men die. Um, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord peradventure. Uh, I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now... If thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. So Moses takes this uh, this exact same attitude. You know what this is? This is a Christ-like attitude. Because isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ did? As they were beating and and uh, and whipping and and uh, uh, all of those those things and throughout his entire life persecuting him and yet he went to that cross and he was separated and accursed from God so he didn't just say I could wish it he did it for your sake and for mine. So that's what Moses is doing here. And that's what Paul is doing here. It's, uh, they're simply taking the mind of Christ. It's, uh, it's love. It's a self-sacrificing love. Now, our, we've been talking about our flesh and the death of our flesh and, and, and those kinds of things. And in our flesh, we're just the opposite, aren't we? We'd like to see somebody else suffer. Somebody else, especially somebody who has, has been hurtful to us, we'd like to see them in pain. Paul says, Moses says, Christ said, spare them and put the pain on me. Them, those who are inflicting pain on me, Father, spare them. And, and, and the pain that they deserve, put that on me too. So there is... Now, that, that attitude and that heart is coming out of Romans 1 through 8. So the question is, is that what we got out of that? Is that what we've gotten out of that passage of Scripture so far? It ought to be. Such a 
love and an identification with Christ that his mind and his heart and his soul and his spirit is in us and being and being manifestly worked in our lives so Paul back in Romans chapter 9 Paul says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. You remember he said uh, back in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. So while he's rejoicing in the truth of chapter 8, he's also got continual sorrow. Remember he said, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Uh, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. And what Paul is doing here is he's grieving the uh, the loss of uh, of Israel's loss and what they have given up, and and he does that again in the midst of his glorying in the truth of, uh, that is ours as members of the body of Christ. At the same time, he the the the, uh, the reality that is ours in Christ doesn't take away from the tragedy that, uh, that Israel, that that nation, that those people have brought upon themselves and continue to uh, sustain upon themselves. It's a tragic uh, thing. Now, God works tragic things for our good. We learn that in chapter 8. And this is, uh, is one of them. But the fact of the matter is that uh, that what happened to the nation of Israel is tragic. It was a tremendous loss. They're Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption. Now, he's been talking about the adoption. You remember, of course, chapter 8 and... Uh, in verse 23, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. And he's been talking about the adoption as it pertains to us. Well, the, the, the reason the adoption pertains to us is because that it used to pertain to the nation of Israel, and they gave it up. So he says it was to them that pertain the adoption and the glory. And he's been talking about that glory, that's that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All of those things that he's been talking about uh, for us, he at the same time realizes that those things pertained to that nation, to his nation, to God's nation. And they turned their back on it. And, and, and that doesn't give him uh, 
not one ounce of, of, of joy. To whom pertain the adoption? Now, we could look at verses on all of these things, but you know that the nation of Israel, uh, God told Pharaoh to let my people go because this is my son. And, 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 and they are the, uh, the, the children of God and were the children of God. Uh, the glory that, um, here I'll tell you what, let's, let's get that. Isaiah chapter 60, and we'll just let this one verse stand for. Isaiah 60. I, 60. Isaiah chapter 60. Paul goes through that litany of 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 things like like someone who has who who's come out of a, a, a of a fire and all his possessions were were burned up and he's listing them he's 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 listing these things not uh, with glory in his heart but with great heaviness and sorrow that to Israel belonged the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the, and the giving of the law and the service of God and, and all of those things. And, and as he names them off and lists them off one by one, it was, they were lost. It was lost. It was lost. This great, tremendous loss for that, for that nation, the people of God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 60, speaking to the nation of Israel. Back up in chapter 59, get the context. Um, verse 20, and Paul's going to quote this passage later on. Uh, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed. And the Lord, uh, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thy eyes round about, and see, all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. And he goes on there, the glory that Israel uh, had in its future, had as its hope in the, um, in the promises and the covenants that God made with them and, and promised to make with them. That, uh, that tremendous glory that would be the salvation of the world. You remember we've been, we, we've been talking about how we uh, trigger the deliverance of the creation. That the creature groans and travails and that its earnest expectation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God so that it can be delivered from the bondage of corruption into our glorious liberty. Well, that was, that was Israel, at least for the earth. That the Gentiles, the world would be saved through that nation. And they 
they gave it up. They gave up that opportunity. Back in in Romans chapter 9, that that glory was to be theirs. The the adoption, verse 4, the glory, the covenants, that, that, that word is there, the testaments. You know, the Jewish people, they'll tell you the New Testament, that's not our book. The Old Testament is our book. No, the New Testament is their book. Matthew to John and, and, and Acts and Hebrews to Revelation. That is their book. And they'll realize it one day, or at least whoever's left of them. Both the, the Old and the New Testaments are, are, are belong to the Jews. Paul's epistles belong to us, and the whole Bible belongs to all of us, right? The covenants, the testaments, the promises, the giving of the law. That law is a glorious thing. Paul has been, has been talking about how it's done away and don't get caught up in it and all of those things because there is a, 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 a greater glory today. But, but the giving of the law is one of, those, uh, one of those glorious privileges that the nation of Israel had. And the service of God, the, the, the priesthood, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the, uh, the, the, the sacrifices, all of those things that God gave uh, uh, such, such a meaningful, deep, rich, meaningful service that they had the privilege of, of, of performing day and night and, and, and throughout their history and down uh, their generations and in the sight of, uh, of the nations around them, that, that glorious service of God that they had, that uh, they, 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 they took the Messiah and they nailed Him to that tree and, that, and the veil of that temple was, was torn in half. And shortly thereafter, the whole thing was torn down and that service was gone. Just gone. And the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, the promises. Look over in uh, uh, chapter 15. Paul is Paul is starting this passage out, and I'm and I'm uh, what I'm what I'm trying to get across to you is that Paul, for all of his sufferings at the hands of the Jews, and for all of his first-hand knowledge of of the attitude that they took and what they did to his Lord, Paul was as pro-Israel as any person you would ever want to meet. If you want to follow the Apostle Paul, you want to be pro-Israel, just like you want to be pro-Germany and pro-Poland and pro... You want to be pro-salvation for the, for the earth. But listen, with Israel, there's this special temptation that, uh, that comes upon Christians... That again, there's this permission to 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 despise them. So, don't think for a minute that that's the attitude that the apostle Paul took. This portion of scripture where Paul talks about Israel, he starts, he comes into it, and he starts it out with this with this attitude of uh, of mourning and of desire to to. To, to, to bring them back and to see that them reach that glory.
Romans chapter 15, um, verse 8. Paul says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. So what we just read in Isaiah chapter 60, that the promises would be confirmed to Israel, that's why Christ came to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And so that the Gentiles, just like Isaiah 60 says, could come to their light and kings to the brightness of their rising and the world could be saved uh, through that nation. Like the Lord told that Samaritan woman, salvation is of the Jews. And, and, and it was. And they had that. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to confirm those promises back in chapter 9. So he says the, the covenants, the promises, um, the, the, uh, whose are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, uh, the, great, the great heroes of the faith, they, they belong to Israel. They belong to Israel. And we're going to see as we go down through this passage that this is not all past tense. Chapter 9 is talking about Israel's past. But as we go into chapter 10 and chapter 11, we're going to see that, uh, that, that this is by no means done. Not, um, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, that is better than all of those other privileges, they were the conduit of the Savior of the world. Now, the, uh, the great tragedy is that they are going to be instrumental in the... Uh, when another comes in his own name in receiving him and in bringing not the Messiah who they rejected, but the Antichrist. Now, you understand that those folks are not friends, you know, through thick and thin, but the fact of the matter is, is that that opportunity to be a conduit of blessing to the world turns around on its head and, uh, and becomes something very, very different. Of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So all of these, uh, all of these privileges that, that this nation had and that they, that they gave up. Now, um, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and get the next couple of, uh, of verses there and, and get our get our foot in the door as, as we go in. Because what Paul is, is doing here is not just... He didn't just come here and bring us here to mourn over Israel's loss. There's a doctrinal purpose to why, uh, uh, why he comes in, into this direction. Again, if all of those things are true that we learned in chapters 1 through 8, what about Israel?
So it's not just, oh, you know, they, they lost everything. There's a, a, a reason and a purpose and a movement and a direction and a design to what's going on and what happened with them and how it affected you and me and what's going to happen to them uh, and all those things. So that's why we're here. So uh, verse 6, he says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So the, uh, the opportunity is there for someone to say, well, look, they had the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, the promises. What happened to the promises? Didn't God promise to bring that nation to glory? Didn't He promise to, uh, to do all of those great and, and magnificent things with that nation. Now you're telling me that, uh, that it doesn't mean anything to be a Jew and that, the, and that the Gentiles are now the people of God and that we have the adoption and we have the glory. God just, He made all those promises for all that time and all those faithful Jews who went through uh, the years and their lives and their generations looking for those promises and, and holding on to those, uh, 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 to, to those glorious uh, uh, words that God gave them to, to, to cling to and to look forward to and not to, uh, to, to dig their, their roots in here looking for a better city. And, and, and that, that God just all of a sudden said, well, you know what? No, I, I changed my mind. Well, that wouldn't be too comforting for us, would it? God make all these promises and then and then just turn around and say, "Yeah, I'm going to do something else." So Paul's going to explain to us what happened, and it starts out with, "Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect." God is faithful. God's word is true. God keeps his promises, every single one, and he does and he will uh, do that. The word of God is faithful. The word of God is effectual. It is not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now we won't take it any further and I'll, I'll be comfortable to, to leave it there because why we're here again is to find out what happened to Israel. And just like you can ask the question, how does God justify a sinner how does a holy God allow a sinful man to stand before him and open his arms and, and receive that person how is that possible if not for the plan and program of salvation that's revealed to us in this book we would, we would never know well it's the same thing with Israel how is it that the Lord made all of these promises and gave all of these things to that nation and then cut them off? Well, the truths regarding those things are, uh, are wonderful and glorious and uh, Paul's going to bring us into those things as we go on into the next few chapters.
we will leave it there for tonight. Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, that, that in everything and toward everyone, that the mind and the heart of Christ would be in us. And, Father, we know, because the Apostle Paul was flesh just like we're flesh, and you don't suffer cruelty and and viciousness at the hands of of people and just naturally turn around and, and have a great love for them. We know that that's your spirit that does that, even in great apostles. And we know that it's only by your spirit that it'll be done in us. And Father, we know that we are no less partakers than the great apostles. And we thank you. We thank you for the love that you do and will continue to work in us. And we thank you, Lord, for your plan of the ages that you know how this whole thing is going to come to fruition and it's going to be glorious. And we thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. In our Savior's name, amen.